The Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah chapter 7. And if you'd like to follow along with these, they're printed on the back cover of your bulletin. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're in a hopeless situation? Have you ever been there? One of those situations where there's just no way out. There's no way to avoid this bad thing that you don't want to happen. This painful operation, maybe, that you don't want to go through. This painful death of a relationship, or the loss of a job, or the loss of a home. What do you do when you're offered hope in the midst of something that you've resolved now is hopeless? Smile politely, say thank you, and uh, just let that wash right off you like water off a duck's back. Can you still believe when your faith is gone? These are all questions that lie at the heart of this morning's sermon text from Isaiah. And here's what's going on in this context. These two kings, one from Syria and one from the northern kingdom of Israel, remember at this time in Israel's history, they were actually split. Ten tribes were in the north in the kingdom of Israel. Two tribes were in the south in the kingdom of Judah. So the king of Israel and the king of Syria had allied with each other, and they'd come up to Jerusalem in order to lay siege to it. Ahaz, the king of Judah at the time, the king living in Jerusalem, and all the rest of the people in Jerusalem, they were very afraid. Death was literally parked outside. And the only reason that they were still alive was because, well, they were waiting. They didn't have quite enough strength yet in their army, so they were just going to chill out there and idle for a bit while the rest of them showed up so that they could come in and sack the city. And so God sends Isaiah to comfort King Ahaz with this promise from Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 4. God tells Isaiah to say to him, Be careful, be quiet, and do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Razin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. 
Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. A little later, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And that's where our text begins. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. God makes an incredible offer to Ahaz here. As deep as Sheol, which is the underworld, or Hades, or where people go when they die. It's the world beneath the ground. Or as high as the heaven. Ahaz, ask for a sign that even one that transcends anything you know, anything you've ever experienced. Name your price. What do I got to write down on this check for you to believe me? Whatever it is, I'll do it. Wouldn't it be great if God would do that for us? What do you want to happen in your life? What do I got to do to get you to believe in me? Name it. And Ahaz, so deep in despair that the faith has been beaten out of him, he, he just says, no, God. No. Not because he's faithful and pious and says, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Certainly not, Lord. It's because he doesn't even really believe. He's not sure that Yahweh really even is God. He just says, no, I'm not going to get involved with that. Maybe because I've got to focus more on strategic planning. How are we going to defend the city? How are we going to make sure we still have water and food? And how are we going to fight off our enemies? No, I'm not going to ask for a sign. That's ridiculous. Just imagine the stress that King Ahaz is under here. You're the king of this country, and you're all holed up in your capital city. You're surrounded by hostile forces. Your army is really not that strong. It's almost certain death if you try to go out and fight. It's literally a life and death situation, and everyone else is looking to you. You can feel their faith in you eroding away day by day. Why isn't he doing anything? What's the plan? Am I going to have to take matters into my own hands? Is it going to be every person for themselves? What's going on here? And Ahaz hears Isaiah say, don't be afraid. These two smold- they're smoldering stumps. They're not actually firebrands. They're weak. They're not going to do anything to you. And Ahaz is so anxious and restless when he's, his heart is full of chaos. He's maybe even on the brink of a mental, of a mental breakdown. Excuse me. He cannot and will not entertain hope. Have you been there? Are you there now? Have you ever felt the overwhelming weight? Like a wave crashing over you. It's better to just stay down from job stress, from marriage stress, from financial stress. Medical issues. Whatever it might be, has it ever seemed to you that it would just be easier to give up hope than to try to still keep that little flicker of flame alive? Because in a way, it's less painful if you just stop hoping that things are going to be better. Because then you can't really be disappointed. All of a sudden, here, Ahaz seems pretty easy to relate to, this obscure king from 2,700 years ago. He's just like us. 
And what happens next is really the heart of this text. Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Kind of a psh, psh, psh to King Ahaz, like slap some sense into this guy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You would think that God would be right to just say, all right, Ahaz, you don't want a sign? Have it your way. Good luck. But no, Isaiah addresses Ahaz, first of all, this way. He says, O house of David, reminding Ahaz of this great promise that Yahweh had made to David, that one of his descendants would be raised up to be an everlasting king in perfect righteousness and peace, and all the nations would be drawn to Zion. That's from 2 Samuel 7. God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now that is not any of the other sons of David or kings in the Davidic line that came after him. That doesn't fit Ahaz. That promise is about Jesus. But for Isaiah to say, O house of David, is calling to mind this promise that God would always be for them, that he was not going to just let them be destroyed. And what does Isaiah say next? He says, here's how God is going to respond to your despair and your faithlessness. A child is going to be born, and his name is going to be God is with us. God looks past the despair, the frantic attempts to engineer man-made hope by allying with other kingdoms, and the faithlessness of Ahaz. And God delivers a gracious promise of hope. And this is the sign of that promise, a son called Emmanuel. And Isaiah goes on to say things about he's going to eat curds and honey. You know, like we get a little bit of information about Emmanuel's diet which might seem kind of weird. What's going on there? Briefly, curds and honey, um, that's kind of a sweet thing. That's, uh, you know, it's like, um, we might be helped to think of that as donuts or a, basically a sign of prosperity, a sign that you have a lot. You've got enough flour and eggs and whatever else you need in order to make things that are treats. And he's going to eat these things by the time he's a certain age, meaning you're not going to be destroyed Prosperity is coming. And at this point, actually, this is where the prophecy about our Lord Jesus ends or untethers. And now we have Isaiah talking about this Emmanuel who was actually born in Isaiah's day, who is not our Lord Jesus, right? There are two Emmanuels here. One from 2,700 years ago. The... the the lesser Emmanuel, and the one born 2,000 years ago, the true Emmanuel. One was born as a sign to the people of Judah that God was with them to save them from the armies parked outside their city, and another was born to all of us. Born as a sign to the people of the world that God was with us to save us from our sins. It's like the Exodus. In the Exodus... There are so many things that really find their full meaning in Jesus. The exodus from Egypt, it was a real thing that happened, but it also serves this purpose of helping us understand what Jesus has done for us in the true exodus, in his death and resurrection, right? Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, out of their bondage to a wicked ruler, 
And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, they still found themselves in some pretty bad situations. Jesus, oh, one more thing about Moses. What did he lead the people through that swallowed up the enemy? They walked through on dry ground. Yeah. Yeah, he, he led them through water. He led them through water. Well, our baptismal font isn't there right now. It's around the corner. Salvation through water. Our Lord Jesus fulfilled the exodus. The true exodus is him breaking the power of the wicked ruler over all of this world, Satan, and ransoming us, rescuing us out of the kingdom of darkness, leading us through water, water that puts the old person to death, that washes us clean from sin, and establishes new life for us. So the Exodus, historical fact, but also forward-looking and truly fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Same thing here with this Emmanuel promise, okay? Are you following me? Thank you. I appreciate that nod. Julie's nodding for all of you. Hope is born to us. Hope was born to Ahaz, and hope is born to us. The hope that was born to Judah during the reign of King Ahaz points forward 700 years to the hope that was born into the world at Jesus' birth. In today's gospel lesson, St. Matthew says that the birth of Jesus Christ happened in the particular way it did. That's his point. It took place in this way. And he says, after he explains how it all happened, he said, this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, And he quotes Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is one of these cases where we have a New Testament writer interpreting the Old Testament for us. And in today's epistle lesson, St. Paul writes that Jesus' entry into the world as a descendant of David, remember I said why that was significant a second ago, it's important that Jesus was a descendant of David, Because God told David, after you die, I'm going to raise up one of your descendants and establish him as the everlasting king, and his kingdom will never end. Jesus is descended from David. He's the one that they've been waiting for. Jesus' entry into the world, physically descended from David, as was promised by the prophets, that is the gospel upon which the church is built. That's what Paul is saying in today's epistle lesson. So just like for Ahaz, God comes to us in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our faithlessness, our inability or even our outright refusal to exercise even the smallest shred of faith in God. In all of our mess, hope is born to us. Like Miss Leanne said, it didn't just happen once. And now that's over with. Jesus was born into the world for us. The Emmanuel, God is with us. In the incarnation, that promise is truly fulfilled. God is with us in the Christ child, born to the Virgin Mary. Our Savior, our Deliverer, our hope has come to us. God doesn't set this bar and require us to climb up to it and surpass that in order to be saved. He has come to us, even when, and maybe especially when, we say, 
No, God, I don't want a sign because I'm not even sure I believe in you anymore. I know some of you are in deep despair. I know that some of you have all but given up hope. The good news this morning is that hope has not given up on you. Hope was born into this world to pay the price for your sins, to give you an everlasting hope. Hope is coming again for you. This isn't just a thing that happened once, and if we can really focus hard on it and meditate on it, then that'll give us strength to keep walking into the future. This is a hope that kindled itself in our hearts and that pulls us into the future because Jesus is coming again. Emmanuel is coming again. That's why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, all through Advent. Advent is a short four-week season. And in fact, this year, I think Advent is the longest it could possibly be. Because it, you know, varies based on the lunar cycles and that kind of thing. But the Advent attitude, the Advent posture of our hearts is something that the church should have year round. Because we always need the Lord Jesus to come back. We're always looking for him to return and to deliver us. You know, you can sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, all through the year. I mean, people might look at you a little funny, like, you know, Christmas in July. Advent in July, anyway. But here's why this hymn is so amazing. You can sing it looking backward, and you can sing it looking forward. And here's what I mean. In fact, if you got your hymnal handy... Open it up to 357. We're going to close with this. I'm going to go through each stanza of this and highlight how it's already done and how it still has yet to be done. Stanza one. Jesus ransomed us by his death and resurrection. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. He's done it. It's finished. But we still mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears again. Stanza two. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit so that we know the path of knowledge. Yes, that is done. We can rest in that. And yet, we are still sinners who are not strong enough or not willing to actually walk in the ways of wisdom. We'll only perfectly do that when Jesus returns. And so we say, O come, Emmanuel. Stanza three, Jesus came in might to defeat the powers of sin, death, and the devil by his cross. But friends, are the powers of sin, death, and the devil totally destroyed now, or are we still dealing with that stuff? We're still dealing with it. Jesus will, though, come one day, on the last day, in cloud and majesty, and awe. Stanza four, Jesus has freed us from Satan's tyranny. That's done. But our final victory over the grave, even though it's won for us by Jesus, is still in the future. Scripture says the last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. Which is why until then, until that great day of resurrection, all those who die in the Lord, we place their bodies in the earth in this confidence that Jesus will raise them up.
Stanza five, Jesus has opened wide our heavenly home and made safe the way that leads on high. And yet the path to misery, is that closed? Or do we still have some misery in our lives? Yeah. The path to misery is not yet fully clothed. We know that very well. Stanza six, Jesus has cheered us by his drawing nigh. And that's what we're about to celebrate in the 12 days of Christmas. And yet, the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows have not yet been put to flight. It's begun, but it's not finished totally yet. And finally, stanza seven, Jesus is already our king of peace, and he has united all humanity through the reconciliation of the gospel. And yet we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because the hearts of all mankind are still so easily turned against one another. Within our homes, within our communities, the nations of the world at war with each other, we see it everywhere. And throughout all these peaks and valleys, the shimmer of hope and the weary waiting, this is our refrain through it all. This is why this hymn is so amazing. Because we look back and we look forward and we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And then what do we sing in, at, after every stanza? Rejoice. Rejoice. Because this hope is not in vain. Emmanuel has come to you, O Israel, O church. And Emmanuel shall come to thee again. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.